It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Yeah, baby! This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Matthew Vanderbilt! All the way live from the tool shed in beautiful Nampa, Idaho. And there we have it. Okay, well... Hey, everybody! Um, it's hard to watch that. Yeah, we can't so, really watch yeah, that. Let's, let's do this and go... I think we can do that it's on my lap um anyway so for those of you who don't know oh no and this thing is unplugged that's not good here we go okay uh for those of you who don't know uh matt has been a member for i don't know six or seven years now no longer. yeah i think since probably since 2009 maybe 10 years now wow yeah anyway um he he's pretty darn successful now and becoming more successful all the time but a big part of the charm is and we will show you the studio at the end of the episode it's just too hard to get the camera angle right for us and then do the studio tour but matt built a uh, a tool shed or had a tool shed he bought a tool shed and had it built out to become a recording studio in the backyard of his house, which is in a typical suburb of Boise. Uh, and it's actually pretty functional, I've got to say. <laughs> you know, he's got a, a, a complete keyboard here. He's got a pair of monitors. He's got a nicer iMac than the last time um, I saw a picture of this room. So it's, I don't know, like a three-year-old iMac maybe? Yeah, I think it's three years old. Okay. Something like that. 27-inch, how much RAM in it? I don't know. We could find out real quick. Let's do... About this Mac. Uh, 32 gigs. Okay, so, you know, fairly beefy. Yeah. Um, the point is, is that the studio is pretty modest. Um, and it just goes to show that you don't have to build a room within a room and do anything fancy. Because clearly Matt is making money um, largely with television music that is produced in this room. So... I don't know, maybe a year ago, I said, you know, one of these days, I'm going to fly up to your place, and uh -huh. we're going to do a Taxi TV live, and here we are. Uh, and i got to say, it's been, uh, I, I had three, maybe three and a half hours of sleep last night. I'm absolutely blotto today. I can't even talk, so it's a good thing Matt is, is personable and chatty, so he can carry the ball Well, today. we got rock stars, too. Yeah, we do have rock stars. Just to keep the tradition alive. Yeah. And look, I got Michael at Boise State Koozie. Yep. There Chuckle like that. Yeah, go Broncos. Anyway. Yeah, I woke up and went to bed at like 12.30 last night. Woke up at 3.45 a.m. this morning. Um, went to LAX, got on a plane, and here I am in beautiful Idaho. Which I gotta say, I've been to this state many, many times. I love Idaho. Awesome state. So, we humans like to watch spinning circles. I don't know what that means. Um, one of the nicest members. Well, it's all a matter of opinion. <laughs> no, he is. He, he's like the nicest guy in the world. He is. Everybody that knows Matt loves him. So, Matt, let's start out with... Um, tell these guys, what, when you came to the first row, when you first joined Taxi, what was your original intent with joining Taxi? Okay, so what, what I wanted to do after joining Taxi was, um, well, so I, I joined Taxi without any music in my catalog, really. Okay. I, like, I, like, I had some albums that I'd done, which 
I, I recorded at a studio and had the engineer there cut them down to instrumental versions. And I, was, I had like four. There was four. I had four pieces in my catalog, and I signed up for Taxi with four tracks. Okay, well, you know, I always tell people have nothing in your catalog when you sign up because you should write to the listings. But well, yeah, okay, exactly. So. But um, so, were you getting any traction? Were oh, you submitting those things? I, was, I submitted them like once. Yeah, yeah, and and then I, it was, it was a giant waste of a membership, really, because I think I left the let the first year or two go by. Yeah, without ever doing anything. I submitted them once and then I was like, meh. <laughs> these, these guys wouldn't know a hit if it jumped up and <laughs> yeah. them on the back. Like, this instrumental piece I got here is worth millions of dollars. If you don't recognize that, <laughs> you got problems. Um, but I remember, like, I always looked at the listings and I saw the country stuff. Yeah. And so I thought to myself, as a hard rock musician at the time, I'll just write country music. How hard could that be? <laughs> <laughs> piece of cake. If I can write a rock song, I can write country. Oh yeah, and, you know, that was the mentality, anyways. And uh, and you hear people say this all the time. They're like, oh yeah, country's just like pop with a fiddle or something, or like right. rock music with. But there's so it's so it's its own thing, it and you got to know thing. the ins and outs of that thing. There's a lot of craft, a ton of craft that goes into country. And, yeah, it's and, like and authenticity, and know? it's it's yeah. like elevated. That art form is elevated. That bar yeah. is so up here, whereas. I don't know. It's just like the the peak of the game. I think people write it off because there, there's been a lot of country with pickup trucks and you know girls in their Daisy Dukes and going swimming, you know, with their high school friends at the local swimming hole and drinking beer and all that uh -huh. stuff. So they've written it off as kind of like this dumb, you know. I can't even think of the right word because I'm so brain dead today. Turns out the country. I have tremendous respect for country songwriters because yeah. they spend years and years and years learning and perfecting their craft, and the artists in Nashville work really hard to find the material that they end yeah. up cutting. So anyway, I don't want to um, belabor your story. No, no. Um, well, the moral to what you were just saying is that like the real guys, the pros that are writing the songs, they've written thousands of songs mm. to finally get that one cut. And here I was, just uh, how well, I was like twenty. Five or so. I don't. No, I don't know what I was. <laughs> 28, 29, 30, something like. I don't like, know. I'm bad at math. But you, you, were young, you were younger. Yeah, younger. About nine years younger, I think, or whatever. Okay. I need some more of this rock star. I think my math is not working. I'm the one that slept three hours, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, I thought to myself, well, as a guy who's written some rock songs in his late twenties. I could surely write some country, and I just figured that my my the first songs I wrote were going to be awesome. And so I like I've been following the taxi listings, and I always saw the need for country music. Yeah, I was like, there's one thing that's constant about all these updates that you'd because back then you would send out every two weeks. Every two weeks, right. yeah. And so we'd get the email, hey, the listings have been updated, and so I'd go in and look at them, and there was like hardly ever anything for a hard rock musician. Right. But there was always just tons of opportunity for country. So I was like, I'll write country music. Piece of cake. So I wrote like 12 country songs, and uh, I might as well just flush that money right down the toilet. <laughs> for as much as it took to record those country oh, songs. And you went to a pro studio. I, I went to a pro studio. And, and um, this isn't to sound demeaning. to The, the studio did a wonderful job. It was, they, they only have to work with what I... Right. Out to the table. Garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't polish a turd, you know. <laughs> so you can't, but you just can't yeah, I mean, they, they did a they did a great job with what I had, and right. 
and uh, I had a bunch of musicians that were extremely good at what they did, so the musicianship was great, the engineering was great, the songwriting was the weak point, but that's what I was trying to sell, was the songwriting. So, yeah, well, I think I spent as much money on that country album as I did building this studio. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's that was a come-to-Jesus type moment for me, when so, I was like, wait a second, the money I put into this sinking ship, uh, I could build my own area and, and make my own music and not be on the clock ever again. But you didn't know anything about tech, right? No, I didn't know nothing. How, how <laughs> did you learn all this stuff? Pushing random buttons. It's, uh, it's the Mac. Right. It just has, like, file and windows and, ed like, I don't know, they're just the different yeah. options. I'd click in there and then find, just find something. <laughs> click on it and then and see what it did. Yeah, see what it did. There's it was nothing wrong with learning by doing. Frankly, you can read manuals all day long. That's how I learned to run an SSL console um, because of that. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you gave up on your career as a country artist and a country yeah. songwriter. What was the pivotal, <laughs> pivotal moment um, when you decided? 2011, I believe. So I, I just got my country CD hot off the presses yeah like and i took them down to the road rally thinking i'm gonna find someone down there yeah. who sees the genius in these 12 songs <laughs> this is going to be what makes my career right here this weekend and i like put all this pressure on myself and i had a fairly subpar product to put you know to put your hopes and dreams on something that wasn't that good how how did you handle all that rejection or, or lack of acceptance, should I say? Uh, well, that was tough. That was tough because you have, all, as a musician who wants to be a guy who makes all of his money from music, when you realize that what you've been putting all your energy into is not very good, I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow. So, I don't wow. think I, I don't think I drank anything down there. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what I did. So you know what it was? I, I kept going to these different workshops, and I saw Robin Frederick's book out in the hallway, the writing for film and TV book. Right. And I would talk to some people occasionally. I, I didn't know anybody back then. Uh, the, one of the only guys I met at that road rally was James Koshin. Wow. Yep. Great and guy to meet. Great guy to meet. Yeah, and he was nice. This was before James Koshin was who James, he is now. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of at the early part of his career too, right? And but um, not unlike you, he, he's a, a guy who just sees, uh, you know, a, something he wants to accomplish and doesn't give up. Yeah, he just yeah, he's working. a go-getter. Yeah, yeah, he's very positive about it. Uh, knows how to deal with rejection. Okay, so yep. you met James Koshin. Yep. And so I told he's like, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to write, write country songs, but apparently I'm not very good at it. <laughs> he's like, well, you ever tried this? Write for TV shows, man. That's what I do. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Uh, I guess I never thought about it. And so and then I saw Robin's book down there. Yeah. I bought the writing for TV book. Right. And then brought that home. And it just it was that weekend that was this life-changing mindset. It's like, okay, I'm going to stop trying to write the number one hit. I'm just going to write music that might one of these days wind up on TV somewhere. And... Can I share the goal? Oh, I'm going to share the goal. <laughs> <laughs> you were uh, teaching communications at Boise State. Uh -huh. 
And I remember you said, when I get to the point where I'm making as much money from my music as I am from being a professor at Boise State, who uh, instrumental for TV, well, not mm -hmm. just instrumental now, but um, TV music, and how long did it take from that point until the day where you were able to earn more than you were making? Like the taxi legends talk about a five-year plan. Like you gotta right. have, you gotta have this long-term look. You, you can't just jump into this hoping to be rich. That, that was like almost to the day, five years. So I came home from that road rally in 2011, and yeah. that would have been early November, right? right. it's always early November. And I came home and that's when I started. And then five years later, it was early November when I had to put in my like request for more classes at BSU. And I was like, I just, and at that point I just got my latest royalty check, which at that point was one of the biggest ones I'd ever gotten. And I was like, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> I'm done. No. I'm done. So like if the royalty check finally got to the level, well it wasn't at the level that I wanted it to be. I wanted it to hit five figures be yeah. before I finally said, "Okay, I can quit." But it was finished that semester, which I did. It was only like a month left and then I said I wasn't coming back. How did it feel that first real day of work in this studio where you went you know, thought to yourself, gee, I don't have to go to work today. My yeah. work is in my backyard in a tool shed. Yeah. Did you come out here at like 8 or 9 in the morning and just fire I, it up? Yeah, and I, and, and I kind of do that all the time still. Wow. Um, come out early with coffee and just keep it. Oh, hey, Chuck's texting us. Hey, he Chuck, says, we're doing a show, damn it. <laughs> he says the video is freezing a bunch. Uh, yeah, Does people are saying there's streaming issues. Oh, that sucks. We haven't had those in so long. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's, we're not having any glitches on this end, and you've got very robust internet. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, we're having issues. Uh, I I will. Should I reboot one more time, you guys? Uh. It's the Boise buffer. Yeah. Um, fine here now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's see. It looks like Bree is probably texting me. Where is that? There we go. Bria Maybe. says, I wouldn't restart. Nothing else. To, you don't have anything else taking any bandwidth. Uh oh. Nope. No, he's got robust internet and nothing else sucking any bandwidth. Um, okay, anyway, we're going to try and not uh, reboot it. Um, okay, so going back to my questions. See, there's a fly buzzing around our heads. I'm just randomly clapping next to your faces because I'm trying to kill it. <laughs> uh huh. Sure, sure, sure. So, okay. So that first day you came out here, and now you come out here every day, and this mm -hmm. is your full-time job. How do you know what to work on? How do you, you know, do you come out with a plan every day? Do you have people that are reaching out to you asking for specific stuff, and you've got basically a full dance card? Yeah. Uh, or do you just come out here and go, hmm, sip your coffee and go, I feel like doing a little dramedy today. Yeah. How, how do you figure it out? No, it's extremely rare that I ever come out to work without having a plan. 
Okay. So usually, what, oh, dic sorry. yeah, what dictates taxi in some form or another through getting forward, <laughs> either getting stuff forwarded, or meeting someone at the road rally, or having a collaborator that I met through taxi do songs together they right. get signed by a library that they're involved with that I'm not yet and that springboards a relationship so anyways all of these <laughs> <laughs> so it's all very directly and they say hey we got a show that needs this can you can you make us a bunch of that and um, it, it's never like oh I need one things out in groups of ten if I can so if someone's asking for uh, dramedy then I try to do 10 dramedy tracks and kick them out the door before I move on to the next thing. And how long would it take you, hypothetically, to do 10 dramedy tracks, assuming there wasn't you know, anything that required? And how many hours a day and how many days a week? Well, this is where he's... <laughs> Under normal yeah, circumstances. Yeah, i got to realize I don't have much of a social life. Um, <laughs> no, this is, this is... When I don't have my daughter, which now that's completely changed maybe we'll bring that story up on here the highlights yeah um, yeah just the highlights so I, I am a single dad and I've got a four-year-old daughter who she's at the point where she I mean she runs her own business but you don't like to leave her alone right like so I, I don't I try not to work or anything when when I've got her with me yeah. um, and she comes out to the studio here and hangs out every now and then but so working time is very minimal when I've got her but every other minute is pretty much been out here so so now she's getting ready to start preschool or something or mm -hmm. pre-k or whatever they yeah, call yeah it, pre -K. yeah pre-k yeah so that's good so you can she can have her daytime routine you can have your around eight o'clock or so and then work until i would go to crossfit which would, I would come back even when that was over my dog is scratching at the door I, I can hear. <laughs> Lude's weekends Wow. So I, I don't even, like, weekends are meaningless to me. I have no idea. What does Sunday mean? Um, okay, so we were talking about when you had the, the revelation that you should be doing music for television um, and that you started working so much and getting enough business that you were able to quit your job as a professor at Boise State and start doing music full-time and working about 10 or 12 hours a day pretty mm -hmm. much every day of the week. Yeah. Um, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> almost went over there. <laughs> Let's go for a little bit. Okay. Um, so, and that you work from orders that many of the companies that you've produced music for have gotten to know you and like you and count on you as being a reliable composer, which mm -hmm. matters. Yep. Um, and so they reach out to you and say, hey, we need dramedy or we need tension, or we need urban dramedy, or we need comedic, whatever the ask is from them, then you end up doing it for them. Um, what happens if other work comes in while you're working on that project for a week? Um, well, if, if something comes in with a more pressing deadline, then I drop what I'm doing on the other one. I basically just prioritize by deadline. Okay. So if something comes in and they say, yeah, we need, we need this by tomorrow, which happens. Yeah. Um, hey, can you get us two tracks by tomorrow or, you know, whatever. Then you, you have to put that other project on hold for a day or two days or whatever. Knock out the one you just got asked for and then come right back to the one you were working on. What happens if they're, they both have imminent deadlines? What if the project you were doing, you know, the, the 10 
pieces for mm -hmm. um, and somebody needs that pretty desperately or does that not happen because it's just something that they're building up a stash yeah. in their library it's not for a particular episode or a show right so if someone's asking for bulk quantity things it's usually because they're they're supplying stuff to a show to like um, but 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 not in like not now not for the show that's going on air tomorrow. Right. It'd be like we do, we need to get a bunch of this stuff into the production company. So get us as much as you can. And so those things I like to get it out there as soon as I can. Um, but it's not a huge pressing deadline. Whereas the other stuff, where it's like we need one track, a really really good track by tomorrow. How often does that one track situation pan out for you? where uh, obviously they've got a clear need and they haven't been able to meet that need uh -huh. with the existing stuff that they have in the libraries they're using. So they reach out to the, their friends who own libraries and they say, hey, can you get me X, Y, Z? And whatever that X, Y, or Z is, they know that you're very capable of mm -hmm. making it. I'm presuming that they probably reach out to a, a few other A players that they have trying yeah, to, yeah. to cover yeah. their bets. So how often is it when you come to the rescue, as it were, to come up with that track that they desperately need that um, it gets picked and gets used? Uh, let's see. That, that, um, I know me and Marcus Cohen got one put on some ABC or CBS promo spot for some show. So and that was probably some upfront money. That was some upfront money, yep. Uh, and I think we turned that track around in a day or two. Um, but but the, the beauty of those situations is someone is looking for music that they haven't been able to find yet. So they're like throwing the last second Hail Mary out to a few people. Right. So all of a sudden your competition is down to like, I don't know, who, whatever three or four people they called who can put something together like that. So I know in, in one instance, me and Marcus landed the spot. Uh, it doesn't always happen though. Like another story here with Marcus Cohen and my, whoa, <laughs> come back up here. Am I in the shot? Okay. Uh, I got reached out to by a library who was working for CBS Sports, mm -hmm. who was supplying all the music to CBS Sports. Well, this year happened to be the Super Bowl. Uh -huh. So... CBS Sports was running the Super Bowl, and they'd been using a lot of my music throughout the entire football season this past year. So wow. the 2018 football season, uh, and they wanted something special for the Super Bowl that would go in and out of the commercials. It'd be like a you know one of those oh, songs well. you send a commercial like a bumper right, or whatever. Yeah. And they had these certain parameters that they they wanted it to have, like college marching band snare drum mm -hmm. like drumline stuff they wanted the horn blast but they also wanted it to be hip-hop with a rap thing and i mean they it, like it was all this very specific stuff and they didn't really have any examples because that's really not mainstream right type of music so but they're like matt i think you can do this but we we need it in like i think it was 36 hours <laughs> and it had to have vocals on it too oh my god so who, who wrote the lyrics marcus yeah and did he sing it as well uh -huh. he sung it as well so the way this one worked is they they called me. They didn't even email. They called. The like, library called The library me. called me, and they're like, we, we need this thing. We know you can do it, but we got 36 hours, and here's what it has to have. Can you turn the piece of music around? So as wow. soon as I got off the phone call, I called Marcus instantly because I know he's one of the guys that he'll drop everything right. and, and do it, and he'll have A-plus material to you at the drop of a hat. So I said, Marcus, we got a shot at the Super Bowl here. Come on. Let's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
And so uh, I told him, I don't even have music yet, dude. But if if you want if you want to crack at this with me, then I'll get you something tonight. Yeah. So he said, yep, I want in. So I made a piece of music, sent it to him that night. And then when I woke up the next morning, the vocals were in my email box. Wow. And then finished the production that day. We had it into the company with like eight hours to spare or something, you know, out of that 36-hour window. And you got window. Well, you know, funny thing about that. <laughs> so, no, they didn't play it on the Super Bowl. No, the CBS production crew was all about it. They loved the song because that was the feedback I got from the library. Right. They said that the crew loves this music. So we got all, like, I mean, we were just seeing dollar signs. Whew. I was buying a new car mentally. <laughs> but so what happened? You know what happened? That game was super lame. There was only one touchdown. Oh. So right, if you right, remember right. Super Bowl, what, whatever this was in 2018, there was one touchdown. The score was like seven to nothing, wasn't it? I think that was it, or seven to. So they didn't have any, they didn't yeah. need exciting music. Yeah, well, and if you think about every football game, each touchdown that scored is worth three commercial breaks because right. they'll send the commercials right after the touchdown and then right after the extra point and then right after the ensuing kickoff. Right. So that's three commercial breaks oh, and man. there's money going or uh, music going in and out of the commercial. That's six opportunities for each touchdown and a normal game would have five or six touchdowns. So that's like 30 to 36 opportunities that just went poof. So the network must have really lost their butt oh, as I'm sure well they because they yeah. couldn't sell those ad uh -huh. that ad time. Yeah. yeah, I think they started forcing media breaks in there so they could at least get their million dollar commercials played. Wow. But yeah, I mean on in, I think on any other game with a lot of touchdowns and a lot of action, like this what we had was a high powered song. It was it was feisty and it was high energy and has the library ever pitched that for anything well else? yeah so I, I think it ended up getting used quite a bit in march madness okay the, it was also cbs sports so, that ran a bunch so of your that. effort wasn't wasted yeah i think we probably made more money w when we finally get paid for it off of the college basketball because that was a lot of games whereas the super bowl would be a bigger payment but it was that would be a one time because it airs once so you know, we may end up making more money than we would have on the Super Bowl, but would have liked those bragging rights. But anyway, that's, yeah. that's an example of how fast the, the industry can work sometimes and how sometimes you spin your wheels to hit these deadlines and then get Crickets. disappointed at the end. But then it always seems like somewhere down the line, your work is not wasted. Like, we're still going to make money on that track. We did it for a different use, but... The, it, the cool part about that story is the etiquette, the relationship, the working professional relationship that you have with the libraries. Mm -hmm. And I get emails probably about once a month-ish um, from entities in the industry that we run listings for, and, and these companies will reach out to me and say, Thanks for sending over that amazing batch of music. You guys are really, I just got one of these like three days ago. You guys are really on your game. Hats off to um, Tom and Isaac and Eric, the guys in the A&R department that make all the wheels turn for this stuff. Hats off to your screeners. However, and as soon as I see the however or the but, my shoulders get tight and I cringe uh -huh. a little bit. Yep. And, and they will say, you know, Great music, signed a lot of it. However, there was one person that I reached out to who was such a jerk to me. And I'm thinking, how could somebody be a jerk? 
they they join Taxi because they want to get their music to the right people and they want to create an income with their music. And now they've made that connection. The person is trying to sign them to their catalog so that they can make music. And, and this member in particular got belligerent with the library owner. And, and while there is huh. certainly not an official blacklist in the industry, people do talk. It's a pretty small industry. Oh, yeah. And there could be, you know, it could be a couple library owners having a beer after a panel at the road rally. And one says, by the way, have you ever worked with so-and-so? Because man, that guy was such a jerk to me. Can you impress upon our viewers how important it is to always act professional and that there is a certain amount of etiquette that's like specific to our end of the industry? Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so let's see. My, my version of etiquette might be a little bit different. Well, you, know, you have to approach well, every... It, it works. Yeah, every... That's just a business you're running. At the end of the day, what, who you are trying to make music for money, that's a business. Mm -hmm. And you, just like if you were a restaurant owner and your entire wait staff was rude to the customers, the customer would go on Yelp and that business is going down with right. like all these crappy reviews. So the same thing applies. Like you gotta put yourself in the position of that restaurant diner. Like all, all those facets of customer relations apply to you because now all of a sudden you're the restaurant you are right. the person supplying the product so, so it comes down to personality attitude it's yeah timeliness, all that stuff. yep timeliness it's responding to things as fast as you can I mean I don't know if people are looking for instant responses those of us who do this full-time can be a lot more speedy with our responses because we're just sitting right there um, but but there are times where I'm it might even take me from you know a couple hours to respond to an email, and I don't think anyone too heavily frowns upon that. But it's when you wait, make someone wait for a long time to get an answer back, or at least t tell them you can't do something that they're going to be like, I'm not going to work with this person anymore. How do you balance the fact that you are sitting there creating music, and I, I would imagine you've got to be pretty single-minded and focused, and at the same time you are getting um, emails from people. How, how can you stay focused on the music when you're also trying to run a business yeah. via email? Actually, it, that's, it, it can be distracting at first, but you, you have to embrace those, those business things because that means it's working. That, that means you've done enough work yeah. to, to actually have these things coming in. And um, the way I look at all these email breaks throughout the day now is um, that's when I give my ears a chance to rest. So you actually take breaks. You're not just yeah. answering the emails as they come. Yeah, in. no. So usually it'll like when I was kind of getting started on this and I didn't have the influx of work that I've got now, I'd have to force myself to leave the studio to take the dog on a walk for 10 minutes, you know, or whatever, right. just to reset your ears. And because uh, otherwise you could just you could spend eight hours just in the chair, going and going and going, only to realize the next day that your, your, your ears basically stopped after two hours and you gotta redo all that stuff anyways. So I've, I've found now that just responding to emails in silence is, is enough. Like that three to five minutes that it takes to look at a few messages, respond to them, that's enough to jump back into the mix that you're working on and, and finish it off and like kind of recalibrate yourself. 
So uh, you mentioned you get you became faster and more efficient. And when we were still outside in, in your studio, uh, having all the the glitchy uh, video problems, um, you were talking about the fact that uh, you typically will do ten pieces, ten instrumentals mm -hmm. um, in a week. Yep. You weren't always that fast, I'm assuming. Oh no, so, no, 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 not always that fast. It used to be where it would take me a week to do one, one piece of music. Wow, that's a really important number because uh -huh. a lot of our members get frustrated by the fact that they work on something for a week and then they send it into taxi and it doesn't get forwarded. Yeah. And then they uh -huh. get very discouraged. How did you, before you became proficient and efficient and talented enough to work quickly, when you invested a lot of time and stuff, um, how did you deal with the frustration of the rejection when something you put all that time and effort into for a whole week didn't make it through? Yeah, that was tough too. Um, rejection I mean, is hard. You're a pretty you, positive person. You know, you just gotta, I tell you, if you ever wanna get used to rejection, you just gotta go ask a bunch of girls on dates. Get rejected on that a million times, and then uh, some, someone telling you no for your music doesn't seem so bad after all. Really? <laughs> okay. Um, no, but it, it's hard. I, I remember when I was making one track a week or so, this is when I didn't know what I was doing, and I just assumed the stuff was good just because I did it. I, and I think far too often we, we think that stuff is good just because we have completed something, whether or not it's really good probably irrelevant but um i don't know rejection's tough i don't know how you get over it other than just moving on you just got to put it behind you and realize that learn something from it and write something better the next time do you i i hope so <laughs> no i mean do do you learn something because i just had somebody yesterday oh i was hanging out with rob shirelli at his house last night and we were talking um that he was working with um, Nate and Kaylee, um, a, a husband and wife team that Rob is partnered with on a particular aspect of his career, and that they would get a lot of rejections, but they would never see them as rejections. They would literally treat them as learning experiences. And I know people will say that stuff, mm -hmm. but whether or not they can actually feel that. And he said, no, they really did. So I, I've noticed something about you, about Chuck Henry, about, um, Nate and Kaylee, about many of our successful members all seem to have this ability to not let rejection drive them, pile drive them into, into the ground. Yeah. You know, you guys are able to maybe feel the sting, but move forward in spite of it. Yeah. So I, I think a secret to that is just writing in such large quantities that you don't even remember what you did last week because you've done so much <laughs> since then. And then when you get rejected on that piece you wrote three weeks ago, that was like 30 tracks ago. You don't even remember it. You're like, oh, they rejected that? Let me find out what that even was. Oh, yeah, that piece. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Do you ever go back? Unfortunately, um, Matt had stuff that we were going to play you guys for the show. Um, but now we're not in the studio. The studio is about, I don't know, 75 feet away from us out in the yard. And because we're getting a good signal in here, we're going to stay right here. Uh, but do you have stuff that you go back and listen to that at the time you thought was really damn good? You know, mm -hmm. it's like really proud of it, and now you go back and listen to it and go, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. Oh, I wish I could play you my first hip-hop song, which was one of the right. tracks I had. It was the second piece of music I ever made on my own when I set out to do this. The second thing I ever did was hip-hop. 
And just like I approached the country music, yeah, I'd never listened to hip hop either. Oh <laughs> so, my gosh. so I was like, I just write hip hop. How hard can that be? Again, huge uh, fallacy in thinking. <laughs> so it was utter garbage. It was like this throwback '80s sound and thing. I mean, the last time I'd listened to hip hop at that point, aside from the occasional Snoop Dogg in the mid '90s, yeah. would have been like DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Like, 89 yeah, yeah 88 89 and this music that i put together which i thought was hip-hop wasn't even good enough for that era i mean it was wow. bad it had all these dj scratches and these <laughs> these were like super uncool chants i think i got on the microphone i was like yeah yeah <laughs> it was horrible so what did horrible. you do with it but i thought oh this is perfect because like I don't know, because I did it on my own. So I thought this is going to be perfect for this hip hop listing, and I sent it in, and and I, I don't even remember what the feedback was, but the result was big fat no. But um, I don't even know where you were going with that question. Oh, you're talking about do I go back and listen to those things? Well, no. When you when you go back, if you go back and listen to it now, uh, do you hear stuff that at the time you thought was genius or that you you know really nailed something? And you go back and go, wow, they were right, or whoever was right that, yeah. that you know rejected this. Um, your perspective has to be wildly different and more advanced now. Yeah, that you're working at this level. Yeah, you just you just have to. Again, it just comes down to the quantity, and if you can make so much stuff, and if each thing you make is progressively better than the last thing, and say you make a hundred tracks a year, then conceivably you're a hundred increments better than right. you were even when you if, started if the increments are only one percent. yeah even if it's just a tiny tiny little bit you're you're you've gotten a tiny bit better a hundred times so how do you stay motivated because if you're getting let's say hypothetically you get mm -hmm. rejected those hundred times yep. how the heck do you stay motivated to keep moving forward um well okay i, I tell you the way I stayed motivated in those early years when I was making a bunch of music, wasn't getting that many forwards, wasn't getting many deals, and I certainly hadn't made any money yet, I had met Chuck Henry at a taxi road rally. And after the road rally, I think it was about... Who's one of our most successful members, I might add. Hi, yeah. Chuck, if you're watching. What's up, Chuck? <laughs> um, I, I went down to another music conference down in LA. This was about, I think, six months after that road rally. Okay. And um, Chuck picked me up from the airport and was like, we got to swing by the bank real quick. It's like, okay, you know, whatever. And he's, so he's on the phone and he's got a check that he's going to deposit. But he had to make a phone call. He was getting called by like the Oprah Winfrey show or something like that. Okay. So he's got this check. And he's just holding it in his hand, and me being just a little curious, I was like, <laughs> peeked over at the check, and I won't tell you the amount, but it was, it was a like, it was a lot, yeah. it was a lot of money. Wow! And uh, and he'd done it all, doing what we do, doing this, writing music that goes to production libraries that later gets put in TV shows, and I'm like, that's just one check, one check right there for that yeah. much money. This is sick. <laughs> this is absolutely sick. No one should get paid that much money to sit around their computer all day. Um, and, and at that point, I hadn't made anything. And that was this huge eye-opener that there is this pot of gold 
at the end of the rainbow, but you have to chase that rainbow for a long time. And I realized then, and, and through Chuck's mentoring, that this is not a fast process at all. Mm. And this is what I try to tell people uh, all the time now, is this is a horrible business plan. Like writing music for TV shows. Why? Why because it takes so long to, oh, get, like... to get that payoff. I mean, it's, it's not a horror, it's, it's a great business. But if you were to take this business plan to any professor at a university and say, this is what I plan on doing. I'm going to work 40 hours a week for two years. And then after, like in year three, that's when I plan to get my first $100 return. Right. And by the way, I'm going to spend like a ton of money leading up to that point, And I'm never going to recoup any of it. And then when I finally get paid, it'll be like nine months after someone actually used my my product yeah it doesn't sound that yeah it's not it's not a mess doesn't pencil out however the back end of it the here's the interesting Mm -hmm. part uh several years ago at the road rally uh one of our members who's a certified financial planner put together a spreadsheet for me uh that exemplified somebody doing this excuse me mexican food (laughs) somebody uh starting out i believe at the age of 35 and doing this oh, yeah. uh-huh. progressively until yep. they're 65 and the first year was no income the second year was like a thousand dollars yeah it was pretty realistic even had like fourth or fifth year the income dropped down a little bit which happens uh, but it's cumulative yeah because the amount of music you have out there is cumulative mm-hmm. so while that professor you might be showing this business plan to might uh-huh. think you know who would spend five years ramping up uh, our, our mutual friend Matt Hurt just basically took I don't know like close to a year off mm-hmm. yeah. to, to go photograph nature yeah. and the checks just kept rolling in mm-hmm. because he had so much music out there and so many libraries over so many years that he could take a year off and barely experience, and not feel it yeah barely uh-huh. experience any drop in income yeah and that's the so that's the beauty. Now that's all all part of that pot of gold right. at the end of the rainbow. But you got to get there, and it's it's sweating it out as a labor of love for years until you get to that point. But it is there, and I swear to God, it's there for anyone that puts in the work. You don't have to be exceptionally gifted, because I'm sure not. I'm not. Your your gift is your willingness to do whatever it takes to make it work. Yeah. I, I was thinking about you a lot, actually, prior to this trip. I was thinking about you on the plane this morning coming up. You don't need, and I mean you generically across the board, you don't need to be an exceptionally gifted musician <laughs> writing the most brilliant compositions. You just need to understand what works for the clients. Yeah. I think the more gifted you are as a musician, the more of a hindrance it yeah. might be because you stuff. overthink you put in all these things that you learned in music school you try to apply these crazy chord changes and like these chords that nobody's ever heard of and do these 12 tone <laughs> things yeah and and you're trying to make these gigantic opuses for what for keeping up with the kardashians they don't want that no and that's where the money is is shows like that they just want something that works and so it's guys like me who aren't exceptionally gifted at music, I'm not the most brilliant musician in the world. Far from it. Um, I can't even play guitar <laughs> or piano. <laughs> you just you got to figure out what you're making. Like, and then the money. When you figure out what makes money, 
that's that's the magic point where you will start getting your income stream rolling. Well, now everybody watching the show is going to wonder, well, what makes money? Because everybody wants the shortcut. Yeah. So, so can but, you yeah. tell, tell them some of the genres that have, have penciled out well for you financially? Uh, yeah. So anything with a hip-hop element, bar none, is one of the best things that you could possibly do. Like, you, you got to, for everybody trying to make mu production music, learn hip-hop. Learn it in and out because it is popping up everywhere. Like not only just, you, you got all the variations of straight hip hop from like the throwback stuff to the current trap stuff to the, and all the springboards that come off of that, like the R&B stuff and uh, just all the mainstream genres of hip hop is huge. And there's tons of usability for that on a million different shows. Why do you think that is? No idea. I, I guess, I don't know, girls liked it? <laughs> I, I've got, well, I mean, there's no question that shows want music that is contemporary. That yeah. It's uh -huh. what's happening in the marketplace now. Hip-hop, uh, people predicted it would go away. Mm -hmm. It hasn't. Um, and demographics have a lot to do with it. You know, mm -hmm. if it's a reality TV show that's got a 25 to 43 demo and that demographic listens to or grew up on a lot of hip-hop, it's going to work for him. Yeah. Uh, um, so how did you learn how to make contemporary sounding hip hop then? Because, you know, there's nine, 80s hip hop, 90s hip hop. Yeah. We're way past that now. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of people that I've heard, uh, if they're in their 40s and 50s, the hip hop they make sounds dated rather yeah. than contemporary. How did yeah. you get past that? Uh, well, and, and I was thinking about this last night too, because I was like, I got to try to touch on this. And this goes back to my point that everybody needs to learn how to produce hip-hop music. And this especially goes for anyone who's in their 40s, 50s, or 60s. Because what you think is hip-hop is not hip-hop. Like, I guarantee that the stuff you sit down to make right out of the gates is not going to cut it. And we'll see this on the taxi forums every now and then. Someone will say, I'm trying a hip-hop listing. And then I'll listen to it, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, this might have been good in the 80s, but it's just, it's not what's happening now. So what happens, I think, is a lot of the older generations, not to sound like I'm aging people, um, but they, they think hip-hop is a certain thing, right. which is the, the deep... Yeah. And that is not hip-hop anymore. The sounds are different. The drum patterns are different. The tempos are every Everything. There's not one single thing about hip-hop today that even comes close to resembling the hip-hop that came before. And you know what? That would be true of any genre. Yeah. Rock mm -hmm. doesn't sound the same today. Yep. Um, country doesn't sound the Very same true. today. Very um, true. Wow. Yeah. That's and, a good point. And, so. and it's the 20-year-old producer right yeah. now sitting in his bedroom making hip-hop tracks. That's the guy that's making the real stuff. So do you have to sit down and force feed yourself a bunch of current hip hop? Mm -hmm. And that's how you learn what those elements are that make your stuff sound contemporary? Yeah. Yeah. So you got to, you got to listen to, you got to listen to the stuff. Um, there's no shortcut to that. Like you, you have to sit down and do the homework. Uh, do you but, take notes when you listen and sit down and go, oh, look at that. You know, they're not using the big fat bottom end. It's more about a groove or a pocket than it is about... Yeah, no, I don't take like written notes, but mental notes. That's impressive that you, yeah. can, uh, that you can remember enough stuff and incorporate it. Well, so, so here's another shortcut. If, yeah. you're, if you're looking for shortcuts, 
um, buy some of the sample packs or loop libraries uh. that are totally current and contemporary. The stuff that's made this year by the companies that specialize in hip hop. And then some of them will have construction kits in there, which is like a full song, or not a full song, be like a minute's worth of music broken down into all the elements. And you can drag in the entire drum pattern all broken down. You got the hi-hats, you got the snares, you got uh, the cymbals, and you got the kick. Just drag it all into a session and look at what they're doing. Like, that is perfect. You can visual analysis. You can see, oh, wait a second, they're not doing the kick on the one and then on the and of two or and of three. I mean, it's, they're doing these weird kick patterns with this strange, really kind of thuddy kick sound mm -hmm. that doesn't have much body to it anymore. You can see what's happening with the hi-hats. Like right. sounds like a sprinkler, <laughs> um, but, but then, then you can see it and you can kind of dissect that thing. So buy a loop library that has a, like current construction kits in there, drag all the thing in and um, dissect it or reverse engineer it or whatever and, you call and it. And couldn't you just use those kits anyway? Because most production music is an A section and a little bit of a B section. Mm -hmm. So couldn't you just find the section that you excuse me, like best and make that your A? Um, well, there's well, some there's some legalities to that. Oh, so well, so boy, my <laughs> <laughs> uh, friend Matt Vanderbilt dropping in. This is my new trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't get it up high enough. There we go. Um, so, <laughs> so what you can't do is you can't recreate the construction kit and, and make the song that was already the the demo track. So what you, like, can, what you can do, though, yeah. is bring in the drum elements and say, oh, you know, I like this kick sound and I like this kick pattern. And then, oh, wait, but I like this hi-hat thing from this other track. Well, the BPM is different. Maybe they're 10 beats a minute different. If you've got some type of tempo syncing thing or time stretching, then now you can match this hi-hat. Let me put, try to get it in the frame. <laughs> this hi-hat sample from this other kit and put it over the top of this kick drum from an unrelated kit and then maybe use a snare thing from a different one and then go to different loop libraries and start and you say oh wait i like this snare pattern but i don't like that sound let me find a snare sound from another thing and you just replace in the exact points i mean this is a super duper shortcut right like composer whatever hack whatever you want to call it and but it's good because the resources you're pulling from are contemporary yeah as a matter of fact i'm guessing those resources get used by guys making hip-hop records uh -huh. production oh, oh yeah and, and it's no secret at, at all in the hip-hop community that loops and samples are used all the time mm -hmm. i mean it's, it's not something that's frowned on or or even scoffed at anymore Let's be clear, though. You can't use, like, you can't sample somebody else's oh, yeah. song, especially for production music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I should clarify that. Yeah. When I talk about sample, I mean, like, a one-shot thing that someone has put in a sample pack full of one-shots. One-shot meaning it's a single kick or a single snare hit. Right. And that's it. It's just one single sound from all these drum parts. And... You could buy a sample pack that's got like 50 different kicks and 50 snares and 50 hi-hats and everything and then you can you can drag them in to your session and program them in such a way that it does all the cool things or you could just get a, like a hi-hat loop pack yeah and drag in a loop that's got all the programming in it already so it's already panning the hi-hat to go 
But isn't that dangerous? If you use a lot of loop stuff, it becomes pretty obvious that it's looped. Yeah. And other people will use the same loops. So I know that those of you who are at the the pro level, if you use a, a loop, don't you doctor it up and do things yeah. to make it, um, make it your own rather than just another guy using it? Yeah, I, I almost always doctor every loop or or even one shot that I use. And most of them are good right out of the right out of the can. So I mean you can drag and drop them. But usually what I'll do is layer up at least two kicks or layer up two snares just so you're kind of m making your own sound so that company can't come back later and say, "Hey, you made money off of my drum kick." So at some point you you, you kind of want to make this stuff your own. E every loop company has their own terms of use legalities. Do people actually read those? I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so, yeah. too, but I'm fearful that um, maybe some people don't. Probably a lot of people don't. And if your plan is to ever make money off of music through the production world, then you better know the terms of use on your thing um, because you don't want to be the person who causes a lawsuit, Right. brings a lawsuit down on a on a music library that you wrote a piece of music for because they're the ones responsible once they've sent it out the door. And talk about a way to get your career black. Yeah, you, you're done at that yeah. point. So just like always. <laughs> you couldn't even change your name or your, you'd have to, you know, like go get heavy duty plastics. Yeah. <laughs> develop a Romanian accent. You know? Yeah, you'd be done. So all, you should always err on the side of caution and uh, chop things up, tailor things, alter the sounds, do some EQ, some reverbing. I, you, you, don't, you just don't want to run the risk that you could kill your career off just dumping stuff if, into a if track. it feels too easy it's probably going to get you in trouble yeah yeah uh-huh <laughs> uh, you mentioned reverb let's talk about reverb i think it's a topic that isn't discussed often enough and i think that when it is discussed uh certainly when i see it on some of the message boards and forums out there um guys will spend so much time trying to sound like they're they're god's gift to reverb um I, I've never heard a reverb. Well, with the exception maybe of Phil Collins' drums and oh yeah, in the know, air tonight. Yeah, do 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 do. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it's extremely rare. Uh, maybe take it to the limit. The snare reverb. Take it to the limit by the Eagles. There are a few times where reverb really matters, but for the most part, for the vast majority of all music, and certainly for production music, because once again, you're not trying to show what a genius you are you're trying to give them music that's usable because it matches a mood of a scene and it helps develop an emotion or elaborates on an emotion a little more. So reverb, how do you approach reverb? Um, do you use out of the box presets? And do you sometimes use a preset and go, well, you know, the tempo of this, uh, the decay's a little long. So I really like the sound and the richness, but I'm gonna shorten it or do you- Yeah, no, no, no I don't know enough about reverb. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is where like, You'll find that I don't really know a lot of these intricate details. So I, I use Pro Tools stock reverb. It's called D-verb. I don't know what the D stands for, but you stick it on there and I like, I go to the, I don't even know which setting it is. There's like a medium room and a small room and a large. Right. And I think I usually have it on large. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how long the decay time is. I don't know. Could be, <laughs> I don't even know how long a millisecond is. <laughs> I have no idea. A millisecond, you yeah. can't hear it. I have no idea what I do uh, as far as that reverb goes. You know, the only, the only thing I do to my reverb, really, is something I learned from Andy, which is to 
put an EQ also on the reverb to roll right. off the high end and the low end. Because if you don't do that, then you sound like 80s. Right. And I was like, oh, that's easy. Done. Um, do you now understand EQ? Yeah, yeah, okay. do now, but I didn't back then. And, and nobody honestly, does on the first day, week, month. It, it takes a good year of working, in, uh-huh. you know, in the studio all day for a year before you really, I think, before you really start to understand what it, what EQ does, how it sounds, which parts of the EQ spectrum are going to sound better on which instruments. Yeah. And, and have you learned the trick of it's always better to suck reverb i mean suck eq out to to roll out frequencies rather than keep adding stuff yeah so i i've i always heard about that argument the subtractive versus yeah. the additive eq and i just kind of do a combination of both i get rid of frequencies that are bad and just give a little boost to the stuff that i like and so i don't know if that's proper or not but again no, yeah, i'm self-taught here but that's what it is i don't believe that it's rocket science or it's a yeah it's formula. not it's just what's pleasing to your ear and what makes something you mentioned reverb adjusting your reverb so it doesn't sound dated mm-hmm. so you've developed an ear for yeah you know. yeah it's little things like that uh, but I do want to touch on the reverb thing one more time yeah. because there's a couple plugins that I want to recommend mm. to people. Really cool, cool reverb things that I just found on sale somewhere. The first one is a, a reverb called Black Hole, and it's from Eventide. Oh, Eventide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were making delays back in the 70s. That okay. Yes, yeah, so I, don't, I don't know yeah, nothing about the company. The, the delay company back then. Yeah. The Okay, well, they got this one reverb. It's called Black Hole, and it's like this science fiction type thing. You can put some ambient, otherworldly reverb on stuff. So if you're doing some really cinematic things or, or you want to make some really ambient sound, get that plug-in. And there's another one, which I just bought a couple of months ago. I don't even know who makes it. It's called Frostbite, hmm. which is really cool. So Frostbite and Black Hole. All there right. There we go. Uh, I spent a couple hours over the weekend uh, experimenting with uh, a thing called Rev, which is from the oh, software yeah. company yeah. Output. Output. Uh-huh. Yeah, and basically they've cataloged just about every sound you can think of mm-hmm. in, in reverse. And so, yeah, taking some of those, you know, like a reverse piano, reverse guitar, a reverse wah yeah. guitar, and putting that through trippy reverb, you might be able to build a really cool, mysterious ambient track with mm-hmm. nothing more than three notes. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Especially if it's you've sound got, design at that point. If you've got something like that black hole reverb. But those are, those are a specific type of music. If you're right. just looking to make your standard run-of-the-mill, whether it be singer-songwriter, hip-hop, rock you know whatever you can overthink this stuff until you're blue in the face and be like i need two two milliseconds of delay or you know whatever with the pre-decay time of this i don't even know what that means (laughs) is that even a thing it's got to be in there the pre-delay whatever man don't overthink it just the pre-delay is the source signal think of take it to the white eagles yeah until it until it kicks in yeah yeah but Uh, but don't yeah People overthink this stuff and they get paralyzed by over analysis. You just gotta make the music, man. I completely agree. Yeah. Nobody at a library ever said, I love that reverb, therefore I'm gonna sign that piece. And Mm -hmm. no music supervisor or editor ever said, I love that reverb, I'm gonna use this piece because of the reverb. Now, you could have a piece of music that's 
um, a great piece of music with really bad sounding reverb mm-hmm. that could knock it out of that. Control. That could cost you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I I have had that happen. Well, maybe it wasn't for reverb, but something similar, or maybe it was an EQ thing. Yeah. Just something, some minor oversight can cost you. But that's, I mean, that's if you're overdoing stuff. But people do yeah. in the early stages of their career, they tend to overthink. Yeah. they tend to overdo because they're looking for that little bit of edge, and they're um, leaning a lot on perfectionism. Yeah, uh, which mm-hmm. you've obviously learned that that you know, uh, overthinking. Yeah, means under delivery. It, 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 yeah, yeah. If you're overthinking something, then you're not actually making anything. Right. You're just thinking about stuff. <laughs> uh, but one last thing about not to over talk reverb, no, but who, okay. it was good stuff. Ronan Chris Murphy uh-huh. at a road rally when I was in one of his classes. When I was so I went back to the road rally, and I've been there every every year every year since. Um, but when when I was trying to figure out how to actually make music and how to produce things. I went to Ronan's classes, and he had this quote that has really stuck with me, and I may kind of butcher it a little bit, but it was something like, over-judicious use of reverb reverb screams amateur hour. Wow. And so if you just got everything's just soaked in reverb because you think it sounds cool, that means it's probably your first track that you've ever made. (laughs) Right. So just don't fall prey to these, like, rookie mistakes. I've seen engineers that... um mixers excuse me in particular that will have like you know a a separate reverb for a guitar a different reverb for a vocal different reverb for the drums different reverb for the piano um different pre-delays on all of them pretty soon you've just created this swirling sea of reverb yeah and and none of that stuff that you work so hard like on the timings of the pre-delays and stuff it just becomes a morass yeah it just sounds like crap yeah. So the, over the weekend, uh, I was actually working on the taxi newsletter, and I took a break and went and looked at, um, I can't remember, I was reading an article by some engineer that I hold in high regard, and he said, uh, if you're using more than three kinds of reverb, stop. Yeah, I, I believe that. But you hear people recommend it all the time. Yeah. 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 Oh, use one reverb for this, and another reverb for that, and then another reverb for this, and then you do that's too much man yeah. we're making production music here we're not we're more about the emotion yeah how it, uh-huh. if you is it a fair statement to say that if you can't imagine what kind of scene your music would work in then it may not be a valuable piece of music yeah i, w- I would say that yeah if you're spending too much time thinking about reverb you should be spending that time thinking about what is the mood and emotion of yeah. this piece of music if you think about that instead then you're way closer to making money a reverb's not going to do anything for you. Yep. Um, let's talk about the Road Rally, which, by the way, is coming up November 7th through the 10th uh, in Los Angeles. We are already half full, even though we still have a little bit more than two months to go before the Road Rally. Um, you've been to many of them at this point. like I don't even know. Seven eight, or eight. Yeah, eight, maybe. Like yeah, eight Road Rallies. Uh, I see people making really bad decisions sometimes on how they're going to approach the industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that those of you who are successfully networked have found a comfortable, a way that's comfortable for you and the person you're approaching. And it seems to be more like non-selling. Like you don't walk up yeah. to people and go, Mm-mm. I've got X number of cuts, you know, and X number of shows, and I'm in X number of libraries and blah, 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 blah. 
when you first meet somebody, let's say that I was at the bar grabbing a drink and uh-huh. I'm standing next to a music library owner and you walk up, I would introduce you and say, this is Matt Vanderbilt, one of our successful members who I've watched grow throughout the years. I'm very proud of him. Oh, that's great, Matt. You know, so what, mm-hmm. what do you follow that up with? Where would you take that conversation? Um, you know, so I, I would talk to that person for like five seconds about what I do mm-hmm. and then talk about anything else. Um, like sports, yeah, football. <laughs> I don't know if the weather's a little bit cliche, but um, I don't know. Talk about, talk about yeah. Boise State, go Broncos. <laughs> That's actually how I first met Chuck Henry. Really? So, uh, yeah, and, and so maybe this story will answer your question. Okay. Um, when I met Chuck Henry back in 2012 or 2013 at the Road Rally, he just finished doing his first episode of taxi TV with him and, and Steve Baird. Okay. And wow. So, and that was like a month before the rally. Yeah. And so I went down there and I saw Chuck and I was like, Hey, that's that, that's that dude from the, (laughs) from the show. And, um, so I was like, I want to, I want to talk to that guy. But, uh, you know, I just, in conventions, people are notorious for shoehorning their way into conversations and trying to, explain how good they are at everything yeah and just putting a sour taste in people's mouths so when i met chuck um i don't even know if we talked about music at all we talked about college football and that was it chuck is a huge georgia bulldogs fan because he's a georgia grad i'm a huge bronco fan because i'm a boise state grad and at that point i think the t- our two teams had just played each other oh wow and boise state won take that chuck um <laughs> But so we talked about football. Well, I don't even think we talked about music. And Chuck's one of my best friends now. He's also a huge mentor of mine as the years went along, taught me so much about the industry. But that was a very organic thing. It wasn't me just like saying, here's my music. Listen to it now. I'm so good at what I do. It was me just being like, hey, man, sorry. (laughs) Tough tough break for your Bulldogs. (laughs) And And then just hanging out that weekend. And I think too too many people are way too uh, way too stuck on this whole concept of the elevator speech. Like you hear that right. that little cliche term. You got to have your elevator speech. So when you finally get your chance, you can say, "I am so and so, and I do blah 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 blah." And you can do it in like the time it takes for an elevator to change floors. I think yeah. that's where that comes from, right? The yep. fifteen second thing. Um, I, I've never I've never gone for that. I. I tend to just try to talk to people, but uh, I guess I suppose it's a personality thing too, on some level. Well, and, you, and you've got a pretty engaging personality. Yeah, you're, <laughs> uh, you're easy to talk to, and people like that about you. At least that's what they say behind your back. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I know one person who would beg to differ. <laughs> Not mentioning any names, but um, you know, the elevator speech comes in handy when somebody is at a loss. Uh, if you get introduced to a library owner at the road rally or a music supervisor, um, it's better to ask them, I believe, about, so uh, how did you become a music supervisor? When did you, are they not hearing me? Said (laughs) closer, I'm just probably too loud. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, you know, I find that it's always better to ask somebody, how did you get started? What made you choose this path in life? Because people do like to talk about themselves Mm -hmm. uh, and it gets them comfortable. 
And then they're going to reciprocate by saying, so what made you decide to get into music? Mm -hmm. And now you've got a conversation about something other than college football, maybe. Yeah. I'm weak at college football, so <laughs> I'd be screwed. I can talk about the Miami Dolphins in pro football. Well, there you go. How they never win a season. Uh, yeah. A they did they, have a Boise State guy at running back. Really? Yeah, Jay Ajay. I don't know if oh, he's still yeah. there or not, but... Um, no, he's not. They, they break hearts every year, so I don't talk about mm -hmm. the Dolphins anymore, but... Um, so better to do that than have somebody say, so what do you do? And you go, well, I do a little rock, I do a little pop, I do a little hip-hop, I do a little yeah. country. That's going to uh, scare a lot of people. Next, please. Right. <laughs> because mm -hmm. they, they feel like you're just trying to be all things to all people. Yeah. So your elevator speech could be as simple as, I do production music and these are my three strongest genres. Right. And, and literally you could say that in five seconds or less. You know, one of the best examples of that I've seen of that on a business card yeah. was Owen Chames' business card. Yeah. So I don't know, you guys in the chat room all know Owen, but maybe people watching this later won't. Owen is an incredibly talented rapper, hip hop producer. Uh, I mean, the guy is through the roof good. His business card says, Owen Chame, hip hop. That's it. And, and, and it's got his contact information. And, yeah. uh, but gigantic letters, hip hop. I mean, this it, isn't a guy saying, I, I make a million different genres of music. It's a guy saying, this is what I'm good at. Right. If you want this, I've got it. I'm a specialist in that yeah. niche. Like, and if, if you wanted to go to a, like a cancer treatment facility, right. you wouldn't just go to the jack of all trades. You'd go to the specialist, right? right? So you always seek out the specialist if you need their special service. That makes great sense. Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't go to a breast cancer specialist if you had lung cancer. Right. Yep. Yeah. And the same thing <laughs> yeah. applies here. Uh, you don't want to be the guy who says that you do everything and you do everything great. Uh, I want to. Can I just throw a few more stories in yeah, here? Yeah, absolutely. I, okay. I so, in that. talking about meeting people at, at a place like the Road Rally, which is just a few months away now, a little bit um, more than sixty days away. Yep. Dang. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll be in L.A. pretty soon. Yep. Um, there's going to be thousands of people there. Yeah. Like that, I said, we're more than half sold out already. Awesome. Way earlier than we would normally be. Awesome. It's going to be... Yeah, if you guys lot. have never been there, it is... It's the best thing you could possibly, possibly... Are you sinking? I think I am. <laughs> My chairs. If you hit the button, it just... It's like an elevator. Or maybe I just weigh a lot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> There's always time for a diet yeah. tomorrow. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, the road rally. Yeah. So it's an amazing, life-changing experience. And you are going to see everybody there from people who are just getting started to people who don't even know that they haven't started yet to people who have been doing it for years to, and to people who own libraries and all walks of the musical spectrum are going to be there. And over the past, I don't know, two to three years, as as I've done some of these taxi TV episodes and have been in like the magazine ads, right. which is freaking awesome. Uh, people start to recognize me and uh, <laughs> like, which, which is really flattering at first to, to have someone know who you are by sight alone. Yeah. Like that's, that's cool. But that novelty starts to wear off when you can't even go to the bathroom without someone tracking you down. And I swear to God, it happens every year that I'll just like, I'll be in a rush to go pee, <laughs> so you just gotta go pee. Cause usually we've been drinking a little bit and so you gotta go to the bathroom and, and someone accosts you on the way to the bathroom. 
And they want to just like, eh, uh, like, eh, let me get in. Uh, I'm so and so, and here's my CD, and they just want to talk to you, and oh, and but they want to do like all the things we're talking about. Right. They want to talk about college football, or they want to do that. But you are in no way, shape, or form in that mentality to engage in a conversation. In fact, you are a little bit upset that someone well, is now stopping you from taking care of your bodily functions. I mean, couldn't you say, I've really got to pee, hang out here, I'll be back in like a minute and a half? Yeah, yeah, but some people don't listen to it. Like, they follow you. I had a guy follow me into the bathroom. I had that at O'Hare Airport. A guy followed me off a plane and said, you're the taxi TV guy, and stood next to me at the urinal talking to me. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, there comes a point where you cross the line of creepiness. So and this, now we're back to etiquette. Yeah, back to etiquette. So this is where I'm going to go with this story is that that has been happening to me more and more is people just they want to they want my ear for right. a little bit of time, which I understand. Like I totally get that. Uh, yeah, they, you're but, a, a willing to mentor them. Sure. Yeah, I and I, I do the one-on-one -on -one mentoring and the mentor lunches and I even got a group here in Boise that I mentor. That's nice. Yeah, they're all coming to the road rally, by the way. There are a lot right. of them, like eight guys from Boise, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. I should have thought to have, we could have hung out with those guys tonight. You know, next time. Okay. We'll do it again. All right. Anyway, just yeah. sorry. Um, where's uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, about so, mentoring. And, yeah, and so etiquette. these, I, I am more than happy to help people because I do all the mentoring and that's, I, I like doing that. I enjoy it. I'm like a teacher by trade. But there's a time and a place for that. Mm -hmm. And 12.30 at night on your way to the bathroom is not the time nor the place to try to do that. So the, I, I want to share two awesome stories of people that I met at this last road rally, 2018. Okay. Um, I was doing the mentor lunch in both cases, and I met a gal named Tamara Miller, mm -hmm. who is in the chat. I saw, saw her name pop up somewhere in there. Tamara, are you in there? And we may not see her. There's, well, there's she was little, here yeah. here earlier, but um, we just met. I met her at at the mentor lunch, yeah. and she gave me a CD, and she was really nice. She didn't try to force herself on me or anything. No, and I, th I think no. What it was is she didn't have. No wait, no. Here's how it worked. Um, really, Matt? <laughs> I'm trying to think of how I wound up with a picture of her on my cell phone. <laughs> Okay, so this is it. No, this isn't creepy. Well. So, like, everybody gives me business cards. Yeah. And I think one of the best things that you could do if you haven't made business cards yet is put your picture on the thing. Ah, that's a great idea. Because people like myself or, you know, anybody who's trying to do mentoring or owns a library or whatever, they could just get bombarded with business cards. Oh, we yeah, get a stack of them. And, yeah. That big. And you have no idea what person belongs to what name. Like you try to go back in your head, oh, who, who is this person? Did I meet him at that? You have no idea. So putting a picture on there is huge. Well, this gal was like, she was really into it. She's like, I, I really just, you know, I'd, I'd love the chance to hear some more of what you do. Like she didn't force herself on me. She's like, I want to hear what you do that's gotten you to this level. That, if she'd force herself on you, then you'd have to say me too. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> just kidding, Tammy. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I, th I think it was that she just wanted to hear my music. Yeah, she's like, I want to hear what's what's actually making money. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, s I'll send you a, an email. You got a business card, so she gave me a business card, and I was like, oh wait, I'm not going to know who you are when I get home. So I was like, let me just. I held up her business card <laughs> next to her face and took a picture. 
So I had the the thing, That's and like funny. three or four weeks after the road rally, she emailed me and said, "Hey, it's Tamara. Um, remember, I met you at the thing." And I was like, "I was just going through my my phone pictures, <laughs> and I, I found that thing." And I was like, "Yeah, so here's my music. Show me what you did." Or like, really? you know, so show me what you've done. And that's how that worked. And we've done five songs now. She's actually getting all five of them signed to a library as part of an album deal. And it's a library that I wasn't even signed with. Right. So that's, like, that's an example of the mentor taking something from the person I'm trying to help. And she ends up helping me. That's the way it works. So it, yeah. it's a reciprocal relationship. It mm-hmm. can't all be give, 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 or take, take, take. Right. And, and it's the people that want that just want to take. And take all the time, just uh, it. They, you can smell it. Coming. You can you smell it, and you can see it in an email too. Yeah. Now you can sniff this stuff out. You can see it from twenty feet away at the road. You can when, when they're making a beeline yeah. to you. You're on your way to the bathroom. Yeah. So another great story from the road rally, just to give this guy a shout out. Just the, the piece of paper. The piece of paper guy. Another guy at my table at at a mentor lunch. It was the very last lunch I was, or the very last table. Um. He was just, uh, he was a guy who was very, very into what I had to say and was hanging on every word. Um, but so at that point, hadn't had any success or anything. And he may have spent his last dollar just getting, getting to the road rally. Uh, but you could tell that he had the desire to do this thing. And I, I later ran into him, bumped him into him in the halls, and he played me a piece of music that turned out to be the best thing I heard wow. during the entire conference. And I was like, man, this is good, good, good. I was like, just keep doing what you're doing because the success is going to come to you if you just keep doing it. And he's like, oh, man, that's great. Thanks. And, but he didn't try to force himself on. He wasn't like, I want to work with you. Make me some, some music, and I want to sing to it or rap to it or whatever. It right. was just he, he was looking for a critique on his music. And it, the only thing I could tell him was it was great. <laughs> keep going. But and I was like, held on to the piece of paper. So I, I told him. Give me a business card, man, because I'll reach out to you whenever I have a need for what you do. And he didn't have any business cards. I don't know if he ran out or if he just didn't have any. Um, but he wrote his name on a slip of paper along with his phone number, a piece of notebook paper about you know that big, and tore it off of a thing. And it was the only thing on notebook paper that I came home with that whole weekend. Like I got a stack of business cards this big and one piece of notebook paper. Wow. And it's not that I would ever really recommend that you forego business cards and just start writing stuff out on scrap paper because you probably shouldn't do that. But in this case, it stood out to me. I was like, I remember this guy, Reuben Smith. That's his name, Reuben. If, Reuben, if you ever see this, man, um, the guy is top notch. And I went from that road rally until about three weeks ago. And what day is today? Late August? Yeah, today's 26th. Yeah, so maybe it was, it was I don't know, maybe even two weeks ago. I had a project that I was trying to finish up uh, with a friend of mine, Austin Falingo. If he happens to watch this, awesome, awesome. Great name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just a killer, killer guy. Um, we were finishing up this album project. And the guy I had tapped to do our very last song ended up bailing on us. And kind of at the 11th hour, I was like, man, we got to get this. We got to get this project out. And now we don't have a vocalist for this track. And I was like, wait about that. Uh, Ruben, Ruben, that's the guy. I need that guy. And uh, for whatever reason, it stuck with me all year. And what are, we're, we're 10 months removed from that road rally. Yeah. I tore my house apart to find my stack of business cards I came home with from the road rally. And I found this little slip of paper 
with this phone number. I texted him, hey, is this Ruben? And he wrote back, who's this? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, sorry, man. Yeah, this is Matt Vanderbilt. I met you at the taxi road rally. I was a mentor at your thing, or at, your, at the mentor lunch at your table. And he's like, hey, Matt, what's going on? I was like, hey, man, I got a track for you. And did he nail it? He nailed it. Just absolutely killed it. He gave me such impeccable stuff that uh, the music that we made in about three days was awesome. Just awesome. So those are two road rally successes where I actually found someone. I wasn't even there to find people. Like I don't right. go to the road rally thinking I'm going to find some new talent. I'm not a talent scout. I work with plenty of people. I don't really need to find new people. But every now and then someone just hits you just right. And it's because they're not pushy. It, they're not creepy. They're not following you to the bathroom. They're not telling you how amazing they are. They're just, I don't know, they're, they're just personable. Right. And nice people, genuine, genuine, nice people. And there's a difference between that and... and Somebody who's trying too hard. Yeah, yeah. You can feel that. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but... I see it after I finish uh, moderating a panel in the Grand Ballroom. There, there's a gaggle of people that after almost every panel... Um, that's either got a music supervisor or publishers generically or uh, music library owners that there are a certain group of people that will be there hovering at the, the edge uh -huh. of the stage yeah. trying to meet these people. Yep. And on one hand, I get it. You know, you yeah. come to the road rally, you want to make connections. But I think the connections are better made in a more organic setting where they don't look so desperate or needy or something. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I have mixed emotions about it. I want everybody to go home from the road rally going, boy, am I glad I went to that thing. It lived up to the promise. On the other hand, I don't want them to blow the opportunity because they were like, hey, 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 will you listen to yeah. my CD? Yeah, what's that great saying? Desperation is a stinky cologne. I've never heard that. <laughs> You've never heard that. No, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so just don't... And, and I sympathize with that, too, because everyone starts off not knowing anybody, and if you finally have an opportunity to get your music into the hands of a music supervisor, a music library, you want to take it. But the reality is you're going to be one of dozens of people slapping a CD on this stack that maybe it gets listened to, maybe it doesn't, or giving them a business card that might just be a name without a picture, how are they supposed to know who you like? Right. That, those situations don't cause memories. How about this idea? Taking your advice, putting a picture on a business card. What about, let's say that you do three things well. Let's take Ruben. Let's say mm -hmm. he, uh, hypothetically, he is, a, well, not hypothetically, he's a great vocalist. Mm -hmm. um, let's say he's also a great top liner mm -hmm. um, in the R&B genre. Let's say that he's also a great mixer. Um, it might be fruitful to get generic business cards printed up with your picture and your contact info and then have a place where you could insert, um, you know, uh, urban vocalist or um, mm -hmm. R&B mixer, whatever the things were that I just mentioned, and, and make like 25 of each of those. So yeah. depending on your mm -hmm. circumstance, because yeah. you can't be all things to all people. But if you really are truly strong at certain things, making sure that when you're in a conversation, like if I were to meet you and I were that gentleman, um, I would want my card to say, um, you know, great uh, hip hop vocals or something, because that's what you need. Yeah, and uh -huh. if it comes up in conversation, 
yeah. pull that one yeah. out. Go, well, uh-huh. if you ever need me, here you go. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great idea. Yeah, and I'm going to be selling those business cars at the Road Rally this uh, uh, Business cards are so cheap. Now you just go to Vistaprint, you get them for free. It's unbelievable yeah. how cheap they've become. Yeah. We are now 13 minutes over, but I let us go over because we had that little 10-minute break where the tech wasn't working. Um, it's breaking my heart. I flew to Idaho Gosh. today to be here with you. Yeah, um, to I, be I, in the shed. You know, maybe we could take it and just, like, show the thing from the backyard yeah let's try okay here's the deal you guys is we're gonna walk out the back door into his yard we may lose the signal and the show may be over um bria uh i'm sure you're watching it would be awesome uh, if tonight you could edit those two pieces of show together like where the good stuff ended from the first part and and where the good stuff ended it might not have ever started (laughs) no i think that people watch it archivally that it worked fine uh it was just a live broadcast that was failing um anyway if you could edit those together maybe even stick a little you know screen in there that says do technical difficulties and some uh buffering we had to move the location and here's the second half of the show without the buffering something like that just have that pop up for like two seconds three seconds um, anyway, so now we're going to walk out into Matt's backyard. Mm, can I do something real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I got a list. I wanted to, because I've n- never been able to do this before. I just want to read off um, some names of people that I love and have worked with and have made at least four pieces of music with. So this is a list of collaborators, which I consider all to be good friends. Okay, so uh, if, if you've only done three pieces, you didn't make You're it. not on the list. <laughs> So, Ruben, you're not on this list, but we spent a lot of time talking about him anyways. He's awesome, but we'll make more. Okay, so these are all amazingly good people, good friends, and you'll probably meet these guys at the road rally. They are consummate professionals, but just great, great people. And more than anything, that's what they are, great people. That's what's awesome about the road rally. The quotient of great people is off the charts. Yeah, okay, so in no particular order, Marcus Cohen, Terrell Burt, Owen Chame, Steve Collum, Boom Dogati, Alex Cassano, Callie J, Aventurina King, Tamara Miller, Al Bryant, Eric Campbell, Jeff Walker, Robin Andre, and Brendan Nickel. These are all people that I've made a lot of music with. And then I want to give one quick shout out to everyone in my music group who's going to be at the road rally. Awesome. Johnny, Jeff, Jeremy, Brendan, Michael, and the boys from Red Light Challenge. That's Shile. <laughs> Kyle and Sean, they're a little uh, like a brother, oh, yeah. a brother duo, and I think a lot of those guys are going to play at the open mics. But um, they're they're like a year or two years into this path as I've kind of been mentoring all these guys along. But I just wanted to say thanks to all my friends who are just awesome, awesome people. It's it's working with other cool people that makes this job really fun because otherwise it'd be so isolating. You'd just be sitting around in yeah, your studio in, by in yourself. Your shed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to walk outside. Um, hopefully, you're going to have to carry the microphone. Okay. Uh, Got it. I will carry the laptop, and hopefully the camera will stay on it. Ooh, let's see about this. Oh, no. How am I going to untangle this? <laughs> so... Oh, and you're welcome to everybody who said thanks. There's a lot of people saying thanks in there. And so they should. Um, You give out great information and you're pretty inspiring because you're a real guy. (laughs) You are a real guy. You're just 
You're un- that's what makes you so damn wonderful, Vanderbo. Is yeah. that you're you're every man who just said, "I can do this," and you did it. You're you're living proof that it can be done. Yep. Especially when you guys see what the shed looks like. All right. If we lose you, show's over. Okay. So far, so good. So far, so good. Although I just probably the back of my head. Oh no, we're looking at your face. All right, here we are. It's my backyard. Here we go, and there she be. Whoops, right there. That's where the magic happens. That's it. It is uh, ten feet wide, fourteen feet long. That's all that is. And apparently, the Wi-Fi signal isn't quite strong enough to power a YouTube live stream. But um, uh, yeah, I was gonna say let's walk out and open the door, but we're we could if you want to risk All it. Right, if we lose you, we lose you. Okay. Um, so if we do lose you, it's been a wonderful show and a great trip to Idaho. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks everybody. Hey, thank t- thanks to you, Michael. <laughs> oh, and I'm gonna bring my little. G- oh, look, let's do a special guest appearance. Oh, hello. Hey, baby girl. Ah, come here. That's bright and ah. Let's see. Aspen. This is oh, let's get a little there down. Hey, Espen, you want to say hi to everybody? Um, do you want to show everybody what you look like with just your face and no thumb? Say, wave to the camera. You're on TV right now. Oh, with that hand. <laughs> this, this right here is the biggest success of my life. As, uh, I don't know, should I talk about that real quick? Um... Maybe, probably not. I, I don't. I honestly don't know because there are issues that probably you know. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to talk about that, yeah. but I love this girl. Okay, and on we go. You want to come out, us? Okay. I just met her today for the first time. Although Matt sends me regular updates about her growing up and stuff, and pictures <laughs> and Christmas cards. Okay. And Here we go. Clarabelle the dog. This is welcome to the studio. Okay, so here's the back wall. There's Matt. Yeah, there's me. <laughs> and right over here. See, he doesn't have any outboard gear. Uh, he's got an interface over there, a couple interfaces. A um, couple of microphones. A new nice keyboard that he says he doesn't understand everything that's on it <laughs> Yeah. Um, and he does have a newer Mac than when I first met him. Uh, he had an older Mac. Uh, this one's like three years old and fairly beefy. But um, that's it, you know, and it works. So this yeah. is where the magic happens. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey, Aspen, say bye. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, you guys. See bye. you guys at the road rally. I left my music in the house, so we are saying goodbye without music, without applause. Thanks for watching. See you next week. <laughs>